my secret is very simple like put your best content forward like I never try to hide something Are you ready to hear from the most well-known roofer in the social media sphere? Are you ready to hear from one of the most popular YouTube roofing channels that there is? And you're going to hear about it right now because we have a podcast in our Claims Game podcast with the very with our very own Dmitry Lipinski. Dmitry, I respect the man so much, and uh, he's just done so much uh, in the social media realm and in the roofing industry. And he's the go-to guy. And he was uh, he had um, uh, he was nice enough to fly down from Minnesota just to come see me uh, in Tampa so that we can do an in-person podcast, which you're about to see. And not only that, but he also spoke. At one of our meetups. If you don't know about the meetups, we do them all over Florida and now all over the country as well. And we had the pleasure of having him as our special guest. Uh, But that's not about that. This is about the podcast. We sat down at our very own Startup Street, uh, which helps us do all of our videos and everything that we do. And we sat down and we had a great conversation. Great conversation about growing the business that he's been able to grow, growing the social media following that he's been able to grow. And also, we got into it a little bit in the middle of the of the interview in regards to the benefits of a public adjuster and the benefits of not using a public adjuster and sort of where the roofing industry is at right now. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. I mean, I don't really have to say much. You probably know who Dimitri is and you probably know where to find him, but here are his links and here's all his websites and everything. He's got an amazing school that he provides uh, tremendous education to other fellow roofers and roofing people who are just sort of coming up in the industry and starting their own business. Just a wealth of knowledge. And again, a guy that I really respect and admire. And I hope you can enjoy this interview uh, with the time that we took to actually sit down and talk with Dimitri. So let's get right to it. Insurance Claims Game Podcast, baby. Let's go. Welcome to the Claims Game Podcast with Vince Perry. Get all the tips you need from insurance claim advocates and professionals and grow your public adjusting career to the next level. And now the commercial claims advocate, Vince Perry. Listen up, advocates. Whether you're a public adjuster, contractor, or an attorney, if you have a client that has suffered any kind of catastrophic loss, whether that be by fire or storm or just any catastrophic loss that requires your client to have to move out and incur ALE and loss of use coverage, you need to think about looking at Black Diamond Services. This is an incredible idea for a service that I think is extremely valuable and I've actually personally used uh, for my clients myself. Basically what they do is they provide all of the necessary money that needed as needed to be done for the homeowner uh, to go and move to another place, whether that be a hotel or another home or whatever it is, they basically bill through their insurance policies loss of use coverage, and basically they provide financial assistance so that the insured never has to incur any out-of-pocket expenses. It's an amazing service. I love the people at Black Diamond Services, especially Millie Varela. If you just contact her and contact Black Diamond Services, I'm telling you, they're going to take care of your climate clients like you wouldn't believe. I personally have a client who suffered a fire damage and had to use their ALE coverage, and all we did was refer them to Black Diamond. Our clients did not have to come out of pocket a single penny. Black Diamond prov- provided all of the financial um, uh, money, and they provided the actual location for the homeowner to stay. Amazing service. Contact Black Diamond Services today so you could find out more information for yourself. Dimitri. Dude, thank you so much for coming, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty excited. 
you know, uh, when we were when we were going back and forth on uh, on Instagram, I was like, hey, do you want to come on for the podcast? And you were like insisted. You're like, yes, but I will go there to do it. And I'm just like, damn, that's that's not that's not normal. <coughs> that, uh, I wouldn't expect you to come all the way down here for that. I always do interesting. It's it's my rule. I have to do it in person. Why is that your rule? Quality of sound, quality of video, just being perfectionist, so much better. Yeah. I don't like how Zoom, everything, like, it's downgrade for me to Zoom. Oh, but it's so much more convenient. <laughs> it is, but but it's also so much easier. I don't know, like, I, I prefer this. Different energy, like, you know, getting to know you, getting to know the person, reading body language, yeah. seeing environment. It's, yeah. Yeah, but I'm not used to it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Get used to it. This is the second time that I do a live podcast with somebody. And the first time I was a nervous wreck, it was with uh, Jessica Stahl. I remember it. It was right here. And I was just like, I didn't know what to ask. I didn't know what to say. It was weird looking at somebody right in the face and having like an interview with the mic in your in your face. But, you know. It's definitely harder. It's but, harder. But get used to it. <laughs> so, Dimitri, thank you for coming. We have the big event tonight, our big event that we do. I mean, I wouldn't call it a big event, but, you know, because it started off as our, our meetup that we do. It started off as just me. Literally, I noticed the following was growing, right? And I noticed that some of my favorite YouTubers would, would have live meet and greets. So I was like, oh, I'm going to Miami. Let me give it a shot. So I do a quick story. and I'm just like, hey, I'm going to be at this bar. Pouring rain, like 28 people showed up. Wow. And I was like, this is weird. So then I'm like, let's do this again. And then we did it again. And then we did it again. And as of now, it is 1.23 p.m. And we've got like 125 people already RSVP. But that's because of you, my friend. Nice. I don't think it's because of me. It's because of you. <laughs> no, no, man. Happy no. to be part of it. Well, I uh, just picked you up from the airport. We've already talked a lot. You guys have already missed out on probably some really good content, but I really appreciate you taking the time, man. Um, so how's everything? How's, uh, how's business? I know that you sold your roofing company and you went all in with the social media stuff and with education, right? Yes, sir. And what is it about education that you like so much? Because I know for me, I've been, I was a tennis coach for 15 years and when I even stopped coaching tennis, I landed in this again, teaching again. Was it, what is it about teaching that just inspires you so much? Everybody has childhood dreams. For me, that was a dream. When I was, I don't know, 11, 12, I, uh, I had a really good uh, history teachers in school. And I wanted to be like that guy. I had one history teacher who changed my life. Just I was uh, bullied a lot. I was no one like, you know, very shy kid. Uh, and w one teacher just opened me up and ch changed me in so many ways. I'm like, how did he do it? Like, I loved everything about that teacher, how he hold the audience, how he was because I thought I was smart. Not many teachers that I have thought I was smart. So many teachers, uh, you know, put me down, you know, uh, belittle me, if you will. Really? Uh, it, it, Kind of like when you were like, I wasn't the smartest per se, but like, you know, I didn't have the best grades. But in history, I always have the best grades because I love my teacher. And if you really challenge yourself about subjects that you love in school, whether it's math, biology or, you know, science or something like history, you will usually tie it to teachers. Usually we're really good at something that we really like the person and it really hit me. And I'm like you know what, I want to be a teacher. So that, that's the path I chose. Uh, I went to uh, college training in uh, college. So I graduated three years. I started working with the kids. I worked with orphans early on. I was uh, in ministry in church. I've done summer camps. 
It's just when you take 30 kids for three weeks who never felt love in their life, you know, abused parents and, you know, bad, uh, bad families and stuff. It just it changes you. It's very satisfying. And then I moved to the United States at the age of 22. And guess what? I didn't get to be a teacher. I have to give up on my dream. So three years of college, two years of university, moved to the United States, and boom, now I'm a construction worker. And uh, Did you know any English? Barely. Like at the age of 21, I didn't speak one word. At the age of 22, I learned just enough to pass the interview to enter the country. So you can imagine, you know, the level. Uh, but then when I start getting in construction, I see all of these construction guys, they're not educated. Like for me, like construction worker, have you have to have a uniform, follow the protocols. There should be still some kind of structure. That was my perception. And now I see a whole bunch of guys who just, they don't care how they look. They don't care what they eat. And I don't want it to be different. Like I'm still educated man per se. And I don't know, just uh, I started learning this construction thing. Uh, every job that I had, I have a lot of raises. I've never been fired and I have like 10 construction jobs. And then my last job, I have nine promotions in two years. I went from like 13 bucks an hour to 25 bucks an hour. And then my boss files bankruptcy. I came home, I said, I will never work for anyone else. I started a business and now I have to learn the business. Marketing, you know, how to position yourself, how to sell. And it was easy, it was so easy. It was so easy that every like my sobs, my friends were asking, "How do you do it?" So I started teaching others right away. It was so easy. It was easy. Like it just it was easier than working for twenty four five bucks an hour for someone. It was easy for me. It was it was common organic. Like what do I have to do to find jobs? Okay. I reverse engineer whatever everyone else is doing. Okay, I have to have Google listing. I have to have back in the day we have few platforms in Atlanta uh you know your yelps Yelp. and stuff so i did uh all of that i signed up i started getting reviews on one platform i had 35 reviews within like first six months phone was ringing off the hook so my subs coming to me and i was still doing the work they're like how do you do it how and i'm like that's easy and uh when i switched from selling jobs to just subcontracting and about 100 people probably have told me you're good at this just manage a company. You don't have to do labor anymore. I mean, I spent 10 years working with my hands. Now I work with my hands and I sell my jobs and people who work for me is like, no, we don't want you to work with your hands. Go do this, please. We need work. And I think honestly, I still would be probably working with my hands. If someone would do good job selling the jobs and managing me, I was satisfied. I was happy. I have two kids. When my boss filed bankruptcy, I never thought about opening business. But the reality is there's, it's so easy to enter, but it's so easy to fail. And so many people take it for granted, like the opportunities they have. And I'm like, how can you fail this? How can you take $150,000 job and lose 50 grand? Like how stupid do you have to be? Right. So for me, it was all common sense. It was easy. I started doing it. And then like I sold my flooring business. I moved to Minnesota. I opened a roofing business. And when I was doing roofing business, I started this YouTube channel originally to educate homeowners because it was to advertise about what I do. Right, to get more work. <laughs> I, I could not afford radio. I could not right. afford TV. And then when I started po posting stuff on YouTube, other roofers yeah. like, how do you do it? I'm like, Here, here's how teaching in roofing came about. So I have 3,000 subscribers on my roofing channel. 
not my roofing insights roofing channel and so many people asking questions bombarding me i'm like you know what i, I can't do this i cannot call I, I i want a few events speak and say if you want to learn how i do it i'm going to do two-day class free just attend i literally we did not have any website built no registration nothing we uh just say <laughs> thursday friday i can dedicate two days for you Dude, 50 people showed up from all over. The, I have people from California and New Jersey, like from all over the country. In person. For, in person, showed up. So the morning off that day, I opened the door and I see all this. You know, like, who the heck are they? <laughs> I was blown away. I could not believe it. We literally went to Lowe's to get like folded chairs. We could not even sit. We, I did my first class in my warehouse. I actually went uh, and then lunch came. Like I went, I pick up tab, I feed everyone. I didn't like, I did not start teaching people for money. Many people think like if you're gurus, you know, you're just like, you're predator. You, you know, you failed your business to make money here. For me, the same people actually who were in my business back then, they still, I sold my business and they still work there. So 50 people came in, we did the tour. I did all my presentations, what I love and I've seen what it did to people. I showed my QuickBooks. I showed my CRM. I just asked them, no recording. Right. People sitting there, right. it's like, nobody have done it. No, nobody does it. I showed them how much I charge. I showed them profit margins. Yeah. I showed them trades, everything. And, like, and if you can't learn from that, I can't help you. <laughs> then I fed them like at the restaurant. They're like, why are you feeding us? Because you're my guest. Yeah. That's like, like people think that Russians are, <laughs> tough and we're not, yeah like for us if you're my guest you know i have to pick up a tab i have to feed you anyway that's how it started and then next class i wanted to be a little bit nicer so i rented a hotel 1500 bucks and i charged 200 just to cover the hotel same thing 50 people came for the second class i needed third and fourth and fifth and i started going to other cities so if i in a year i did like six seven classes i just wanted to cover my grounds and then i'm like demand for this is so big because roofers want to have jobs, but they can't reverse engineer. For some reason, it was always organic to me. I learn how to learn and I know how to teach. And I'm like, I have a business here. You know, one thing that fascinates me about you is there's been several times that you've mentioned on your channel that you were a roofer for how many years? 70 years. Seven before years. Before I sold it. You know, I mean, seven years is, is not... A long time when you really think about it. how many roofers have been out there how many of your students have been roofers for 10 20 30 years or so and I've always found that pretty fascinating and I keep laughing as you tell the story because I mean it's not that different of sort of where where we are at as well where sometimes I think I think the beauty of it is is to be is to continue to stay humble Mm -hmm. I tell people all the time, and I'll probably say it tonight at the meetup, the fact that there's just one person there is already just like, you exactly. just sort of can't believe it, right? And I keep laughing because the look on your face when you were like, I opened the door and there was 50 people. I couldn't believe it. We didn't, we did no advertising. We didn't do this. We didn't do that. But the reaction that people get when you have, and, and the last thing I'll say is I think people also could see, which is another thing that really surprised me, is that people could really see your genuineness mm -hmm. through the camera people could really see your honesty when you're speaking through and that's something that i can say about you that when you're looking at that camera mm -hmm. even though you're thousands of miles away there's something about what it is that you're saying that i could say okay he's telling me the truth i believe what he's saying and i'm going to take what he's saying i'm going to take it with me and I, I love that you mentioned it because so many people say that facebook is not real youtube yep. is not real and it's easy to fake it's not easy to fake it's very hard to fake 
And we as a humans, we read people really, really well and really, really fast. We all know, you know, what Trump is about or Biden is about because we heard them speak. It takes you a few minutes to make a major decision. And there's a lot of gurus. You you listen to them and their value proposition to you. And you're like, no, that's bullshit. I call that bullshit. So it's not easy to fake. And you are who you are. And I always make my videos for one person in the audience. I don't make it for everyone. I'm like, you know, I'm having a conversation with you. That's one guy or girl watching me. That's what so what, what would you say is a big reason for the success that you've had on social media? You said that you started it like I started it was just to get more just to get more jobs. That's sure. the only reason why I started it. What would you say though after now <clears throat> you've been doing it for when did you start roofing insights? Oh, a little and, bit over five years. So for about five years. What would you say is for the audience, what's like what's the key to really, you know? My secret is very simple. Like put your best content forward. Like I never try to hide something. Like today I do have online school. So there is you have at one point you will have to separate your service and access to you and you have to charge for it. Because people will be willing to pay, but your content should be free. Your best content should be free. And you, you have to have audience best interest, not your best interest in mind. I'm going to go back to the question. But what was the, when was the point that you realized <clears throat> it's tough to, to figure out the point where you're going to start charging for stuff, right? For me, well, it was tough. We got you, to you, about a year of just free, 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 value, value. I'm literally giving you everything right here to, okay, now let's see if we could, you know, we started with a one-on-one -on -one course, which is literally, we signed up 10 people and it was a private course because I felt like I couldn't fail by having a one-on-one -on -one time sure. for an entire day. You're playing it safe. I would say um, it, it has to start as a hobby. There is such a thing as monetizing way too early. Many people make that mistake. So if you do money, yeah. like a lot of people make that mistake. So you have to build audience first. Yeah. You have to be passionate about it. You cannot start this business just as a business. You have to build audience. You have to build a brand. But then you will see, like I, I was always selfish. Like it was never about me. Like I was, if I give you one advice, if you want to become successful on YouTube, never ever make it about you. Always have your audience interest in mind. What do they want to watch? What do they want to listen? What they want to search? What it is today they would like to see or hear from you. And when you have that, it's not about you. It's not your product or your need. It's like, what do your audience really need today? Sometimes it's encouragement. Sometimes it's just good words. Sometimes it's a product. Sometimes it's your statement. Sometimes people literally waiting like, I want that guy to speak up on this topic. And when they do, everybody shares. Everybody's like, I'm glad he, he spoke on it. Well, you, you mentioned outside. You said the top three things where, uh, what was it? It was not talking about yourself, making it all about yourself, making it all about sell sales and selling yep, your company. Don't sell. Yep. And then my favorite, which is always in my top three mistakes or top 10 mistakes in any video that I make is giving up. Yeah. Always talk about, I mean, the freaking people don't understand it. The work that it takes to come up with this yeah. content, the consistency. Well, it's a view. It's like people will go make, you know, 10 videos and you'll have like, okay, only eight people watch it. Nobody cares. Well, it's still eight people. Right. You know, if you do your first event and eight people showed up, I remember it came long, long time ago in church. I was in church, I want to say it's 2014. I attended the church, it was Bible study. And the pastor, it was three of us. And the pastor 
would not do the Bible study because there was not enough people. I'm like, what about us? And I literally was sitting there hungry to learn. And he, he would not talk. He would not read. We were talking about everything else, but not the topic. And, and I promised myself that day that you I will never ever look how many people in the audience I don't like if I go live right now there's three people watching that's the three human beings who churn in and giving you their attention you don't know who they are it could be freaking Mark Cuban it could be Donald Trump it could be someone massive watching you but you don't know and if you only doing it for masses for likes for comments you're gonna fail so your first 100 videos will suck but you still have to do them and they will suck. <laughs> value for me. Value is what we always talk about. Uh, we want to, is that you? Uh, we want to make sure, I don't know what that is, I'm vibrating. No, uh, it's probably my phone. Sure. We want to make sure, I learned in a book called uh, The Go-Giver, uh, where it talks about providing 10 times the amount of value that you actually put out there. So if you're, if you're, if, you have a, a course for a thousand dollars. You should be providing ten thousand dollars worth of value. Is mm -hmm. the whole is the whole point. And that's every single time I turn on that camera. Every single time I, I I put any kind of content. My goal. Anytime we do this meetup. Anytime we do anything with the course. I mean, I spent so much time recording this online course that we're going to come out with. And it's just that's all I have on my mind is just value, value, value. I don't. Value. I don't think it has to be ten times. But I think like let's say you pay me one thousand dollars. My goal is always to make sure that you get more value for it. Like as long as people say, okay, what can I do for the next 30 minutes? I can watch this video or this video. What's the better value for me? So they can watch Mr. Beast for 10 minutes or they can watch Dimitri for 10 minutes. You know, and I want to outdo him for my industry. Like I want to be the best investment. I mean, they're giving you time and it's very valuable. Like as long as... They're not going to, you know, how many times you watch something like shit, like I just wasted 15 minutes. That hurts. And not know, often because they usually turn it off after five or usually I, I turn it off after five. But, but but still, it was a waste. Like I don't finish movies. Like if I don't like the movie, I don't have a, like I, 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 I did not finish so many movies. 20, 30 minutes in. OK, I'm done. I already yeah. know it's going to finish. I'm never going to come back to that yeah. movie. But the same happening with the influencers, the same happening with the video, like treasure their time they're giving you the most valuable thing to ask they attend it they come to you like i look when i go live and i see that 100 people watching i'm like there's a 100 people in my room that's huge yeah 100 people is a lot of people <laughs> that's the genuine side of you though you know i picked up on it not so much in your videos i picked up on it I don't know what I was watching. It was something when you were in a conference or something like that. I forgot what it was, but I can tell like your interaction with the, each and every person that you come across. And I try to do the same thing. Uh, you know, like, like I, I know I'm going to look at you at the meetup tonight, tonight. I don't know whether you'll be looking at me or whatever, but it's the same thing. I try to touch, not literally, but touch yeah, every... Be careful with that. Yeah, I know. Every <laughs> single person that like give them you're, you're your grateful. full attention and it becomes that's the genuineness that's being grateful for just that person even caring what you have to say you know yep. we were talking about the first time that i went to a conference and somebody wanted a selfie it's the weirdest thing man you never get used to that but you're grateful for it too because you know that all the hard work is paid off that you're trying to educate people you're helping others you're you're, you're making a change in other people's lives and it, it goes a long way absolutely so you mentioned when you started the roofing or no it was a flooring company Right? My you, first business was flying. When you started your first business, you said it was easy. So what are 
some of the things that, not that you found easy, but what were some of the things in the beginning that you were able to really get an understanding? When you, when you what did you say? When you uh, dissected the whole thing, uh, what is it? Counter-engineered, back-engineered it? Uh, Reverse-engineered Reverse engineered it. Yeah. What were some of the things that, you know, people listening now would be like, okay, that's awesome. What were some of the things that you feel sure. are the most important when you're uh, in a startup? understand the marketplace like back in the day it was uh, in atlanta it was a platform called kadzu.com in 2009 2010 kadzu dominated atlanta market it's a local company like it's like craigslist for california it's like angels list for indianapolis so kadzu was huge everybody was doing business on kadzu and uh i it's a, it was kadzu where i have 36 reviews within like six months so i look I give them 500 bucks to advertise and my phone started ringing. You need to understand where people shop today. Like I'll give you an example. People say, I hate Yelp. You can help Yelp all you want, but go to your iPhone, type in roofing and see the results or like restaurants. And when you realize that Apple gets uh, data from Yelp, you will freaking wake up in your thoughts about Yelp because those Yelpers who and iPhone users who are looking for restaurants near them on iPhones, when they're going to turn to roofers near them on iPhones, not going to see you because you have perception of Yelp. And I hate Yelp too. I, I'm not a fan of Yelp, but I have to have free Yelp account and get at least a couple five-star reviews to show up on Yelp maps because it's a marketplace. I might get 10 jobs per year from it because at least 10 users near me i it's it's a fact it's a data that's why uh companies like apple pays couples uh companies like google or google pays apple to use their data you know i think apple pays google six or eight billion dollars a year or something like that to use it in default settings why do they do it because it matters it's a search it's a marketplace it's users so you need to and then when i started a roofing company I moved to United. Uh, I moved to Minneapolis. Number one company in Angels List, fifty million dollar company had two hundred fifty reviews. I set it my goal to beat them on Angels List. Angels List had one hundred and thirty users in Minneapolis. I started in the gutter category, gave them a couple hundred bucks, bought a couple cities, twelve thousand users. My phone rang every single day for like three, four leads a day. I'm like, this works. Angel, how much to advertise in every city? thousand bucks a month i did one thousand dollars a month i was running eight nine gutter appointments per day wow in two years i became the most rated the most reviewed roofing company on angels list i bid the 50 million dollar player i had 360 reviews they had uh, 350. It took me two years to be the leader and I've seen it. Uh, I've seen contractors do it with a thumbtack, even with a home advisor. You need, when you go into town like Tampa, Florida, where if I would move here first, you analyze the market. Where do people find roofers? Like, where do they see them? Is it a local radio station? Is it a local TV station? Every market is different. Is it a main road where I can put a billboard or is it all of it? Like, depends how much money you have. You can reverse engineer. You can become a YouTube star. You can join podcasts. So I was uh, very good at doing it. And that, th this stuff takes like a couple hours to figure it out. This is a couple Google searches. You know, spend a day in that research. So I reverse engineer success in, you know, in Atlanta with the platforms. I killed it on Kadzu. 
I, when I sold my roofing company, we have 750 reviews on Angel's List. Used to be 90% of my sales. Uh, in 2018, they kicked me out after Home Advisor purchased Angel's List because I was bashing Home Advisor. <laughs> I love Angel's List. I hated Home Advisor. The moment they buy them, they kick me out. Interesting. I'm like, did they buy them because of me? <laughs> anyway, so I'm like, why did you kick me out? Not only me, all my companies. I have four businesses. I have item removal company. I have basement finishing company. I have roofing company. All of them were banned to do business with AngelList. Nothing I could do about it. But today, I don't even care. Like, as to my sales never went down. Every year I grew. But in 2013, 14, it was 90% of my sales. When they went down, with the 750 reviews, I just switched to Google and, you know, other avenues. Right. But I never struggled. I always knew how to make my phone ring because I always um, could figure out consumer behavior, including myself. How do I make decisions? What do I search? How do I find a plumber? Right. And if you answer that question, you will be set for life in your business. You just have to understand consumer behavior. Gotcha. Gotcha. So basically get out there everywhere. Make sure that you have your, your I mean, not, not everywhere. There. You just have to understand where do people shop? Sure. Because if you try to get well, out of Google, right? I mean, Google's Google. My business is a big one. Right if, now. if you if you get out everywhere, the problem with that is your overhead will be so high. You will be scammed so much yeah. that that's what marketers are paying for. Like I, I'm calling you and say, hey, you know, Yelp or whatever the platform Dex knows we have 100 listings pay us 500 bucks a month and you're like, oh, I have to be everywhere. Before you know, you spend $10,000 on marketing and get in two jobs. Right. So you you don't have to be everywhere. You have to be in the right place at the right time. You have to understand where people actually shop. Like Yelp in California, huge win. If I move to LA, I'm paying Yelp five grand a month. If I go to Minneapolis, maybe Angel's List, maybe a few others. Yeah, it's a different price. It's different price, it's different platform. But Yelp in Minneapolis, dead not a dollar they, they don't have a presence nobody in minneapolis using yelp to find a roofing contract they use maps but that's about it but it's a free listing not paid so did you always do when you got so i guess we're more we're going to get towards roofing now did you always do restoration or did you do uh new builds and and retail and all that stuff too did you do a little bit of everything i'm 100 percent retail contractor okay. like the first couple of years only that after two years, I started looking at like I did like if you call me with insurance claim and many people did, I did not know what to do. After two years in business, I finally hired Xactimate specialist. He still works for that business now. Been there six years, uh, Chris. So he came to me. He works with Xactimate. I have four claims when I hired him. It was November. It was like suicidal decision. I'm like, shit. Couldn't you come in summertime? Yeah. Because now I have to drag it. But I gave him salary. And he still works for us, but that's how we added that division. We started working with insurance claims. Uh, and uh, the very next year, I think it was 2017, uh, we have a big hailstorm. That year we did 50-50 insurance restoration claims and uh, retail. How'd you like the restoration side of it? The insurance claim side of it? The we're we're, we're in Minnesota, so we're a little bit spoiled. It's a little bit easier. Deductibles are low. We never have a problem. So I would say... Insurance pays pretty well. You have your fair battles with the old state and state farm denials, and it's getting worse and worse. But early on, like we have some good claims. Minnesota pays good. Deductibles are low. We're not like Dallas, where like people, you know, get roofs replaced every couple of years. So it's usually a good experience. They usually look at you as a hero, not as a 
you know, past who's like just keep knocking on doors. Right. So pretty good, like good experience. When did you first hear about public adjusters? Um, or did you always know about public adjusters? I think in Minneapolis, I, 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 you probably didn't know. I didn't know. I think it was Steve Patrick was my introduction. I took a class back in 2017 or 18 in Chicago. He did a big class on large laws and public adjusters. I see. I have a lot of friends in Chicago, and Chicago is you can be a public adjuster or a roofer. Right. And I have a lot of roofing friends. It's all in six hours away. Yeah. So it's very common there. So I knew about public adjusters. I just never used one. So I knew everything about it because everybody talks about it in the industry, but I just we don't use them. <laughs> Well, I don't think they're very common in Minneapolis. No. In Illinois, yeah, we have a lot of students who take the course who are from Illinois. Yep. And I have a couple of them who are roofers as well. Mm-hmm. And they seem to want to. They seem to want to switch over because they feel like they have a little bit more. You know, they have a little bit more. I guess weight in what they can say when they're arguing the insurance claim. My my pushback on that, and it's not mine, but what I hear from comments from mine is, I, everybody says, like lawyers that I interview, they say that's a conflict of interest. So we always say that insurance companies have public uh, uh, conflict of interest, but like if a roofer, also public adjuster is also conflict on of interest. On the same claim, I would say. But but a lot of them do that. Are they the same claim? Yeah. Oh, really? So they're the roofer and they're the public adjuster on the same claim, and that's totally allowed? Apparently, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I see people doing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we see a lot of things, don't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, have you ever used a public adjuster before? I think we only used few. We have few appraisals, few. And I think the reason is because of Chris. So Chris came to us. He has 12 years experience settling claims. And Xactimate. And Xactimate. So he is, we just we never fell in. I think we use it like twice per year if that <laughs> so can you see the benefit did you watch the video 100%, 100%. that i did 100 percent. can you see the benefit of roofers and public adjusters working together 100 percent, yes but i think it's that's re- not 100 percent. but but i think <laughs> I, I think it i think it re- really depends on the state and the situation like you know you have to look at your numbers like let's say you do 100 claims and you know you struggle with 10 like struggle, like you can't move on, like, and you give it to public adjusters. Then you have to have really strong relationship with someone to take care of, it's 10% of your business. Yeah. But, you know, if you're like in Texas or like what I see, like Atlanta is hurting now, Chicago is hurting now. Like it's, it's, amount, it's for me, business is all numbers games. Like if I would have, back in the day, if I would have 30% of my business denied, and I needed to hire someone, of course, I'm not going to say no to 30%. But if I'm losing two, three out of 100, do I fight for it? And, and again, we did hire public adjuster, but it, it's it's just like hiring a lawyer. You know, how, fa- how often do you hire a lawyer? I have a good lawyer and I keep him busy right. with my stuff, but how the same thing. Right. So it it's, I think... A roofing business in Texas, in Florida, especially Florida, is very different than a lot of Midwest states. I think it's it's important also, a lot of times what I hear from my roofing referral sources is the public adjusters that they've worked with in the past. It's not so much the 20% or the 10% that obviously we're going to charge Mm -hmm. on top of it, which could affect your bottom line ultimately in a little bit. It's really more to finding somebody that could take that portion of their business 
so that they could maybe focus on, you know, they don't have to deal with the insurance company. They don't have to deal with the follow-up. It's almost like they have an employee, right, mm -hmm. who's a public adjuster handling the minutia of the insurance claim. But with the issue that roofers continue to run into, which is what I'm trying to help change in the industry, is just it's just the, the public adjuster being on top of their shit. I think my answer, my honest answer is, if you don't have employee, like see, like for example, if, if I pay $100,000 salary, to someone dealing with insurance claims. He can make a decision when and uh, if we need a public adjuster and he will hire them as a lawyer, PA, you know, any third party. But if you don't have full-time employee, if you're just a roofer, business owner, you go, you know, you do retail and every once in a while have, I think it's a must have, like in your pipeline. Some, like every time you land the claim, you need an expert to help you with the claim. And I guess the difference with me and companies like me, uh, when you have it in-house, it's a completely different ballgame because that uh, Xactimator, whatever you call him, he actually does the job of the public adjuster. I know it's a legal thing to say and we're not supposed to, whatever, but that's the thing. Like a lot of things the public adjusters do, uh, roofing companies can do within the company, like that follow-up and stuff like that. We can do it, but it costs us money. So if you don't have, if you're not paying someone $100,000, you can set up a $100,000 budget to pay public adjuster to help with all your claims. But if you have that, you let your internal employee, wherever his role is, insurance expert, let's say, to make the decision, when do we need help? Well, the issue you have to deal with too is, I guess you have a lot of hail claims out there. We don't have that many hail claims exactly. here. It's more wind damage that we deal with a lot. And then obviously water damage claims, but that has nothing to do with it. Um, it's when you're dealing with the interior too, when yes. you're dealing with a lot of exterior, the fencing and the playground set and all those different things or, or, or loss of use and additional living expenses. When you get into all that stuff, if it's a roof only, I mean, even I would probably advise a roofer to just, you know, you could figure this and out. And my business mainly was roof, roof only. only. Yeah. I mean, we've done some siding. We try not to do a lot, but like 85% of my business was roofs. Yeah. So that that's the difference. That's the truth. I think difference. that's the biggest difference is when yeah. you're including interior and you're including the different coverages because ultimately that's, yeah, we're, we're trying to take care of the whole thing, making sure that we get the top value or, or what the insured is owed from beginning to end in regards to the every part of the policy. How complicated are like fire claims, for example? We have super <laughs> fucking complicated. Is it like the hardest thing in? It's adjusting? just a lot. It's a lot. But again, it's like it's like it's like you know, it's like us talking about you bringing on a public adjuster. If it's a, a very intense, complex fire claim, I'm gonna hire a contents expert. I'm going to hire an ALE, additional living expenses expert, and I'm going to just handle the build back portion, or I'm just going to handle the documentation portion. You know, I think what a lot of people forget, a good public adjuster, it's almost like you're the, um, what do you call the guy who's ahead of the project, the project manager? Okay. That's what a public adjuster is. I'm the but, insurance but, claim project manager. Where I'm sort of coordinating everybody but to make it, sure that they're doing what they have to do. I want to push back on that. Okay. I like your definition and I wish it would be true, but uh, I would say most roofing contractors don't feel that. They, they, they look at the public adjusters, especially bigger firms, more like agencies, more like marketers always, almost. And what I mean by that is... Like if you're manager, if you're managing the job start to finish, because what I the feedback that I the complaints that I've seen mm -hmm. for years is public adjuster gets a file 
and drops the ball and yeah. or didn't follow up and Very stuff common. like that. Like just like marketer would be, you know, you hire a marketer to manage your website and you never know what's actually happening. Right. So that's the thing. If you like, I like your definition, don't get me wrong. Like if you, if you're a project manager and you go above and beyond for it, great. But if you're just taking all the claims you can get, and then I have to follow up with you if you follow up with them and you always give me feel now you're just like this big agencies that we don't need. It's the number one complaint that I hear from roofing contractors. It's the number one complaint I hear from general contractors. It's the number one complaint I get from any kind of referral source that we have, which is why I always make it a priority that we follow up with the actual roofing contractor and the insurance company separately and to give them a status update on what's going on with the claim. Also, we give them access to our CRM so that they could also come in and check to see what the status is. And now you're gonna meet uh, you're gonna meet Ryan Hall. Is it Ryan? Why, why did I say is it Ryan Holiday? Ryan, right? I'm going blank. Ink Pay. Yep. Well, we could put the contractor on the check now. Nice. Makes life a lot easier now because that's so another big issue. He's coming tonight. He's coming tonight. Nice. You know him? You met him? Yeah. That's another big issue, right? Is we get the check. I'm the public adjuster, and the check's only made out to the homeowner and to myself. And then the roofer's like, yo, what's up? You know, I have a work authorization here. And then it's, it, gets, it gets a little complicated. So we're trying to incorporate now into our process. It's literally just had a meeting last week is making sure that we have that on file and making sure that we include them on the check once we, you know, release it digitally. Absolutely. That's going to make roofers a lot happier. I would say so. Quarterback of the insurance claim, Dimitri. That's what we are. Do you follow football? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> Go goalie. You're a goalie. Let's talk soccer. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Who would be in soccer? I have no idea. But in, in, in American football, we are the quarterback of the insurance claim. We handle it from beginning to end, and that's what we do. All right, so if we're going to have any time to go out to this other thing, uh, we should probably wrap this up. Um, again, man, thank you for coming. Is there anything that you that you would like to add that I haven't we haven't discussed? I would just say I don't care what industry and public adjuster like if you're watching I feel like we have dual audience but we also have there's a lot of players there's smaller niches like engineers uh, insurance adjusters they, they all watch we all watch each other's content just be a good guy <laughs> no you know what I say <laughs> don't be a dick don't be a dick be, be a good guy uh, don't promise something you, you don't think you're gonna deliver Communication is everything for roofers, for public adjusters. I mean, if we all just genuinely will try to help, not just say we're gonna help. Like, uh, I just hate that message when everybody's like, oh, we're here to, everybody's in business to help, mm -hmm. but yet we all have all these complaints that we all are taken advantage by someone. Just be a good guy and you'll be just fine. Well, what makes you different? My customer service. It's always that, right? <laughs> yep. Always the customer service. Exactly. So, Dimitri, thanks for coming on, man. Thank thanks you, for man. making it all the way out here. Absolutely. To beautiful, sunny Florida. I just need an excuse to get out of Minneapolis. That's and all it, it was. And all you have to say is that I'm in Tampa and I'm buying a flight. Yeah, exactly. All right, Dimitri, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, next time I'm going to go to you. Absolutely. All right. You'll thanks. enjoy it. <laughs>